0: Welcome to the Eat Well, Sleep Great, Run Far podcast. My name is Will France and I'm here to help you go farther, faster and longer without injuries, gut problems or giving up your favorite foods. This episode was originally recorded as a weekly live training for the 21-day Run Faster challenge. If you'd like to watch these trainings live or participate or ask questions, Please join the Trail and Ultra Running Nutrition group on Facebook. And if you found this episode helpful or relatable, please subscribe to this show and or give us a rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you're listening to it. My whole goal is to get this information to as many trail runners as possible, and every little bit of engagement helps. All right, let's get to the episode. Everybody, welcome to the third Q&A for the 21-Day Run Faster Challenge. And this will be the last one we're doing Uh, for those of you here. Thank you. Uh, I do know some people are out of town due to um, holidays. Somebody else is still at work. He just texted me, so I know it's kind of a mixed bag. But thank everybody who's joining on this Thursday evening. I know for some of you it's even later than it is here, so we're gonna get get rolling now. Um, First off, if you're in the challenge and still want the chance to win $500, then fill out your exit survey, and book your strategy call with me. It is required that you do both of those by noon, mountain time, on Sunday, or you cannot win. Period. Um, End of story. If I'm not going to accept late exceptions, like we've had a few days to do this, we all know it's coming, so do the thing. Now, we're going to get into answering some questions for the week. First, let's talk deloading. What is a deload? A deload is a period of training where you're not stopping. You're not stopping your training. You are reducing the volume or the intensity so that you can actually adapt from the training you've been doing. So next week for me is a deload week. It's a deload week currently for a couple people. If we're training hard enough, eventually you're probably going to need to take... A deload week. It's not a full rest week. It's just a decrease in volume or intensity. So, you, I guess, first question is should you train hard enough to require a deload? And the answer to that is definitely like it depends on what your goals are and how fast you're trying to achieve them and what your risk tolerance is. Right? If you want to get faster, and especially if you want to get faster somewhat quickly, then yes you probably need to train hard enough that a deload is at least somewhat required. If you just want to run more and don't really care, then it doesn't really matter. You could run every day the same amount for the rest of your life and if it's like 5 miles, you're probably ne- you're not going to get all that much better, but you're going to you're probably never going to really need a deload week. How do you know if you need one? A couple answers. One, the traditional version of block programming where your work is in like different subsets and you kind of stack them next to each other would say you do 3 weeks of work and then you take a week deload you do 3 weeks of work and you take a week deload that's not necessarily accurate it is a really easy way to do it and it's probably going to keep you pretty safe it's kind of like the 10% increase rule it's probably a little overly aggressive for some and not aggressive enough for others And it depends on you and your recovery ability and your training ability and all sorts of stuff, right? So if you are training really hard, if you take every fourth week as some kind of deload week, then you're probably going to be fine. Some people might need a little more than that, but that's pretty close. Now, we can also talk about how you feel. Right now, I am torched. (laughs) I have been... I told you I was going to do this like get faster thing with you, and I have done that. Today was my sixth VO2 max session. I am a little broken. My ribs are sore, which usually doesn't happen from running, but it's been a lot of volume. Um, my shins are sore. I'm tired, and that means I need to deload because I'm really tired and I've seen a lot of progress. But it's time for a break. It doesn't mean I should sit and rest and do nothing. Quite the opposite. I should stay active. I should stay running. I should keep my volume kind of up. I should definitely drop the intensity, right? That is one, one sign. Another sign is if we're seeing indications of hormone shifts. So if your libido's gone or you're tired or you're just kind of grouchy all the time or your hunger signals are all off or you never, ever want to train, you just dread it and you're just never ever in the mood to run it's also probably pretty good signs that you need a rest or a deload or something depending on how intense your current block is the deload might need to come faster that is why right now i need a deload so badly next week because it has been a 3 it there's been three rough weeks of a vo2 2 max block so i've been looking at Pushing really hard twice a week for three weeks. It's been six sessions. I have seen my speed increase greatly, but I'm beat up. All right, so that is kind of where, where we're looking at. If you are wondering whether you need a deload, you probably do if you're in this group because most people in here are way too driven rather than the other direction. To most of the people that you might talk to, if they're wondering if they de- need a deload, they're probably not. This is very much like a taper. You need to have something to taper from if you're going to taper. If you're not training very hard, then you don't really need to taper. If you're not deloading, if you're not training very hard, you don't really need a deload. But if you're pushing yourself and trying to like get better and really shoot your, shoot your shot and push into it, then you might need to deload every few weeks because our training cycle should be some level of intensity training where we push a lot of adaptations and get tired and then take a break. And during this break period is when we actually get better. And that is about the live video that I posted yesterday. And then we push our training again for a few weeks and then we take a break period where we actually get better. Push training for a few weeks, break period, and that might be a race or whatever but we're looking to push ourselves. It's called supercompensation. You push yourself really hard, try and create that um, adaptation that you're looking for, try to trigger that adaptation, and you give yourself enough rest for that adaptation to actually sink in. This also ties a little bit in with eating. We're gonna get into a few different things about food today, so I just wanna start with undereating. As a reminder, you never fuel fat loss and performance the same in some sorts in some sports you have to try any sport with a weight class cycling cuz they've shown that especially in like in road cycling it is all about your power to weight ratio so the more power you can create with less weight typically the better you're going to be at least in the tour de france some stuff with like really high uh, a lot of incline but in most sports you're not going to achieve peak performance really low weight class. So don't try to lose a bunch of fat while also trying to increase your performance. And if you think I'm talking to you about this, I've talked to 10 people about this this week, not just like runners, but just across the board. So this is a very common thing that people want to do. They want to get better at their sport while also losing fat. Of course you do. That makes sense. But they don't help each other. So don't do that. Now, Let's get into some questions that were asked in the group. And if you're live and you have any questions, please pop them in the chat and I will answer them at some point by the end of this. Emma was asking on behalf of a friend, fiber in the days leading up to a long run, should you cut back to prevent unwanted bowel movements? And if so, for how long? There's more to it, but that was most of it. So yes, you probably should for a couple of days and I usually recommend reducing fiber as you start to carb load, so as you increase your carbs. If you don't remember, you haven't heard me say this, your carb load is probably about 36 to 48 hours before you step, before you toe the line, because that is about how long your glycogen stores are gonna to top off. You'll hear people say anything from up to like one to two weeks. There's no real evidence to support that. It's about 36 to 48 hours prior to your race. It is also, very clearly on the other end, not a giant pasta dinner the night before you toe the line either. For about 48 hours, so if your race is on a Saturday morning, Thursday and Friday, slightly increase your carbohydrate throughout the entire day, and then you will slowly top off your glycogen stores, and they will just kind of stay there. And then when you start the line on Saturday, you will have your best chance to be well-fueled and well-hydrated as you increase that carbohydrate load, you are also going to somewhat reduce fiber, and I don't know how much you need to reduce fiber. This is really dependent on the person, because your body doesn't just respond to exact intakes or numbers or overall things, it also responds to changes in intake as well, so if you already don't eat any fiber, then You probably don't want to cut it too much more. If you're a whole food vegan who eats like 60 grams a day, you'll definitely want to reduce it. But you'll probably still be eating more than the first person who never has eaten a plant in like the past three weeks, right? You don't want to completely get rid of it or you'll end up constipated. So you should test this a few times. You should see what altering your fiber does to you. You probably have a good idea. Um, If you eat a salad every day and then you don't eat a salad one day, what happens to you the next day? Go well? Is it a bad thing for you? Kind of be aware of that. But yes, you should probably reduce your fiber. You could also do that by keeping it the same, and as you increase your carbohydrate, just do it by very highly digestible forms. So rice, pasta, bread over over those couple days, and see if that ratio does anything anything for you. I have a question live from Esther. How long do I wait to run again if I got COVID? I'm worried about possible lung damage by going too soon, or is it by feel? I'm gonna say I'm not gonna to touch that at all That's a doctor question, and that's way outside of my scope. Um, if anybody else wants to chime in, they're welcome to in the chat, but I am there's no way I'm gonna to touch that. I would say go talk to your doctor, see what they tell you. Generally, the advice is, if you are feeling symptoms below your neck, as in you're feeling your cough or anything in your lungs, in your chest, then don't go running. And if you're feeling symptoms above your neck, then you're probably fine. So if you have a stuffy nose, it's okay. Nobody knows the full spectrum of this disease. It does weird things. Some people end up with long COVID. Some people are fine after three days. I, I don't know what to tell you. I really wish I did. I wish I had a better answer. I've had it at least once. I have I don't know. Bobby, how to deal with pre-race anxiety and stress? I really, like, really the same as we deal with any stress. Big one for me is planning. So this is the reason I gave everybody access to that like race day planning document in the 21-day challenge folder. I it has a column for for fear setting. So what are you afraid of in your race? What are you worried about? Problem solving. How are you going to solve those fears when they happen? fueling, hydration, notes. Like, if you're having stress about your race, put that in the fear column whenever you think about it. And then when you have a minute to think and ponder it, solve that. Visualization helps a lot of people. So if you have a bunch of concerns, imagine them going wrong and then you fixing them. And then that will sink in. If you typically deal with stress by... Meditating, good, do that. Stress is stress is stress. So however you deal with stress in your life, then that is probably how you should deal with pre-race anxiety and stress. And i me clear here that a lot of the time we process physical stress by going and doing, sorry, we process mental stress by going and doing something physically stressful And we need to have another outlet as well. Yes, running feels good. The reason it helps you deal with mental stress is because it boosts your cortisol and your dopamine, so you just don't have to deal with it right now. It can also give you time to think, but it's the thinking that might actually be solving your problem. So we need to have these stress-resolving problems or like strategies for ourselves, and it's going to be a little different for everybody. But the big one for me is planning, which is why I gave everybody that document. Ross, carbs help manage my stress. Yes, they actually do. They drop your cortisol. They're great. You should eat some carbs um, at the right time. But still, eat some carbs. Dina asked a question. And I'm going to shorten this slightly, but I'm going to read most of it. Because I have a conversation very similar to this at least once per week with someone, often in person. I got injured and I'm taking it easy on running, so I decided to take a bunch of trial classes at the gym. If I took them all, it would be every week, two cycling, two power flex classes, one Pilates class, one bar class, three group strength and interval classes, and three sessions with a personal trainer. I wouldn't really be running. Is this too much? Are there pros and cons to this? I'm also planning to hike at least six to ten miles per week. Is it counterproductive? And then how do I prioritize what is the most important out of all these activities? I have two big points here. Again, one, I get asked some version of this. Like, I want to do all this stuff. How do I do all this stuff? And is it benefiting me? Regularly. So, one, it is not too much as long as you can recover from it. I'm not sure what you can recover from, unless I'm training you and creating your schedule and like talking about food with you on a fairly regular basis, then I don't know. You have to know how much you're training. You have to make sure that you're eating and sleeping enough to recover. You have to have some stress management techniques. If you're injured, it's possible you're not recovering as it is, but I don't know 100% how you got your injury or exactly what the cause is, so we're not sure, but like, it makes me wonder. Also, as I said already, <laughs> already this might be the theme here, stress is stress is stress is stress is stress. How is your life right now? If it's really stressful, then adding one, two, three, 15 hours of training per week might not be your best choice. Just because, again, physical stress can help us deal with the mental stress because it boosts happy hormones doesn't mean it's not still stress. So you might push yourself further into injury. Again, if you're recovering enough, you can train as much as you want. Eventually, you will hit a point where there isn't enough time in the day to recover from what you're doing. Most people are not going to hit that who have other stuff to do from a pure training perspective, but they are going to hit it from a lack of recovery perspective. If you have a job and kids to take care of and all sorts of things to do, then it's not that the human body can't take 15 hours per week of training. It's that you don't have time to recover from 15 hours per week of training. I don't. I don't know. A lot of people, most people I train don't. Um... High-level athletes train 30, 40, 50 hours a week sometimes. They also eat a lot of food and often only work part-time, if at all. Someone whose name is escaping me, which is really frustrating because I saw him speak live, uh, his pseudonym is the Iron Cowboy, he had 101 Ironmans in 101 days. And it's very impressive. The part that we often don't hear about is he ended up with HPA axis dysfunction which is often incorrectly labeled adrenal fatigue. I saw the man speak live. He said he was like three months out where he just really couldn't do anything. He was drained on the couch and completely like waste of all energy and couldn't do anything. His hormones were destroyed because there is physically not enough time to recover from 15 hours of training per day for 100 plus days. Now, it's not the same as what your load that you asked about is, but it's the same idea you have to balance training with recovery, always. And now when it comes to, is there, is it counterproductive? If your goal is to do as much as possible, and you don't really care about making a whole lot of progress on any one thing, then it's absolutely not counterproductive. If your goal is to like run farther and faster, then it's absolutely counterproductive. If your goal is fat loss, it's also counterproductive. The things that matter for fat loss are, as I said these like once here already is like you need to build muscle, increase your metabolism, then once you increase your metabolism, you go into a cut by like slightly increasing your activity and not eating as much. But you have to do the first part first, most of the time. I've never never really met somebody who's just ready to go into a cut immediately because they came eating five thousand calories a day. I've never seen it. Not I'm sure it happens. But it's really rare especially these days because most of us have tried to die at least once in the past if you are trying to run farther and faster then things like bar and power flex probably are not really going to help you because they are they're great classes i see them regularly but and i see people have a lot of fun in them but they're not necessarily going to help you with your running and this is out of judgment i don't care what your goals are as long as they're not harmful and they make you happy But if you don't establish some rock-solid goals, we don't really know what is helpful or harmful or counterproductive because all of it has this end, right? If we are looking to just lose weight, not fat, weight, then just don't eat. (laughs) And eventually you'll lose a bunch of weight. It's not actually productive towards anybody's goals because most people don't want to look like Christian Bale and the Machinist. It's not good. But if we have these specific goals, we can start to target strategies that work towards them. There's nothing wrong with exercising like 10 to 15 hours per week and enjoying all the classes at the gym and working with a trainer and spending a bunch of time. Like I see people, people who do that every day. And they have really happy lives and seem to have a ton of fun in the gym. And it's kind of their, their happy space. And that's wonderful. If that's what you want to do, great. But if that's not what your goal is, then don't do that. And follow-up question is, is there some type of formula that lets you calculate the exercise versus recovery ratio? Not really. You have to listen to your body. Um, Tracking your food can help a little bit to see what your intake is. There is no magic number. All of the formulas are complete estimates. It takes a little bit of art. Like I can look at some of these now, and I'm still not perfect at it, but I have much better idea than I did when I started a few years ago. If I look at you training a lot and eating 1,500 calories a day, that is not okay. If you're not training very much and you're eating 3,000 calories a day, then I can kind of piece that together what that's doing to you as well. If we're in this weird middle zone where a lot of people end up, you might need to track some other stuff as well. And the acronym coach named sam miller uses which i've quoted on here before is shreds I And mean, it's sleep hunger recovery energy digestion and stress and if all of those things are in line then he says you're probably pretty good so if your sleep's okay if your hunger signals are normal and helpful like you get hungry a few times throughout the day but you're not getting hangry or you're not never hungry um recovery are you recovering like do you feel burnt out If you do, then you're not recovering. Trust your body. Energy, again, do you feel drained throughout your day? Digestion, how's your digestion? Are you taking regular bowel movements? Do you have um, acid reflux or GERD? Do you have IBS? What's going on there? Um, And stress, are you stressed out? And then a couple that I add are mood and libido. And if we have all of those things like, normalized, and they mean different things to different people. Not everybody has the same level of libido, not everybody has the same recovery ability, not everybody has the same like energy. I'm not a perky person, right? But like my energy, I know when I feel drained. Right now, I feel really drained. But again, end of a heavy training cycle. It makes sense. It's kind of a one-to-one. But if we are feeling really off on any of those things, you're probably not recovered, and you need to recover more. I will say the one way you don't do that is by plugging your exercise into a tracker and your food into a tracker and seeing if the calories match, because that's going to be wrong in about every way possible. Live question from Carl. When you take a week off from training, should you get back to the same week or the week before? This is a really good question, and I'm not exactly sure because it kind of depends on your training plan. If you have to take a sudden week off from training, I would. So if you're having to build, right? So if you take um, if you train week one, week two, and then you're supposed to increase week three, but you have to take that week off. Week four. I would potentially repeat week two and see how you feel. And if it goes well, then come up to week three. There are people who will take a slight deload for that. There are some people who will go directly into week three. I'm not a huge fan of that, mostly because I've been injured so much. But if you have to take a surprise week off, then I would basically repeat the week you did prior to that surprise week off and see how you feel. And if it goes well, increase the following week as planned. Now, if you aren't surprised by this week off, I would just plan it in as a deload, and then you can use that rest or that vacation well to help you recover from a heavy training cycle. Brian, what is the minimum time you'd recommend between A races, specifically half and full marathons, That's really hard for people. Um, Hold on. How much recovery would you recommend after a hard 5K or 10Ks? Would you recommend running hard 5Ks and 10Ks for marathon training, not just as a tune-up race? All very great questions. It depends on how hard you're able to push and how much you really care about it being an A race. This is a different answer for a professional athlete than it is for most people listening to this. Most professional marathoners only do a couple per year that they're actually trying to win because that's how often they can really peak. Now, most, I don't know, run-of-the-mill runners, I don't know what to tell you, people who aren't getting paid to do it, I guess, would be probably better off targeting maybe four-ish per year as their A races, and that depends how far they are. If you're talking 100 milers, it's probably two. As your A races. It's not saying you can't do more. It's saying you probably can't perform more than that. There's a difference between like running a race and trying to perform at a race. And some people have an incredible recovery ability, can can do notably more than that. Some people might only get away with one a year. It's a little personally dependent, but two to six is a fine thing to say for these longer efforts. Like if we look at Jim Walmsley, he could probably do six to eight man has an incredible recovery ability that I don't really understand. So we have to understand that there's some personal differentiation here. As far as how much recovery you'd recommend after a hard 5K or 10K, this is also obviously going to depend personally, but it'll be shorter. It's not going to be as much as a marathon. 10Ks can get a little weird because they're just long enough to require more, but just short enough to where you can still push really hard. So 10Ks and half marathons can actually require a good amount of good amount of recovery, but everything up to that full marathon, you are somewhere in your like lactate critical speed threshold area for most of it. And that's what makes them so difficult. So you're gonna need a good amount of recovery for any of these things. For a marathon, it might be week for, like a good, like a recovery week. For a 5K, it might be a couple days. No matter what, you're not gonna perform at your best two weeks back to back. You'll probably want like a recovery week and then a rebuild week. And then just start to like move a little bit into a beginning of a new training cycle and a couple of months later, you can probably perform again. But it's really gonna depend on you. I often, talk to people and they send me this long list of races and I ask them what their A races are and they tell me they're all A races and there's like 15 on there and my only real response is like great you're gonna perform like shit at all of your A races because you're not getting any recovery so we need to make sure that you're actually able to recover and build further if you want to get better throughout your year or you have these goals it's not just recovery If you're stacking race after race after race, you have no time to actually make improvements. You're constantly in this race, recover from race, basically taper, like prep yourself for next race, race again. So if we actually want to make improvements throughout the year, some of these races need to be prioritized. Again, you could race every weekend and just treat it as a long run. It just depends on what your priorities are. Another from Brian is, I'm running two marathons in the 72 miler in a long weekend in October, the Tahoe Super Triple. It's all on highway, so access to hydration is pretty easy during the 72 miler. It's just wherever your support vehicle is. Would you recommend carrying more than about 20 ounces of water during the 72? It starts at 9 p.m., so heat isn't a concern. Including this in here, I know it's really specific to Brian, I already answered him, but it's a good point. About muleing. So here, the mule is functionally your support vehicle. At Hard Rock, they let you mule. At uh, Badwater, they definitely let you like have a mule or support vehicle. So you don't need to carry more than you need to carry. It's just extra weight. That's that I would say carry more than the bare minimum of what you're trying to do, because stuff happens. But if there's no chance of you getting stranded and you're constantly on road next to other people running or next to your support vehicle, you don't need to carry much at all. If you're about an hour between every check-in and you aren't really able to get access in between those and you know you lose three-quarters of a liter an hour, so 24 ounces, then maybe carry you know 30 ounces, 32, a liter, something like that so that you have a bit of that buffer. I would, the paranoid person in me would say, carry about double of what you need. Depending on the race, that's not realistic. Right? Like For some races, if you have a 17 mile gap, you're not going to carry double of whatever that is. It's like, carry an entire extra pack. So carry a little extra from the bare minimum of what you think you might need, so that in case you hurt yourself or something goes wrong, then you're not stuck. Bobby, how do you calculate macros? I want to know all about them. Great, strap in. So what is a macro? A macro is a subset of calories. When we divide calories, we can divide them into macronutrients and micronutrients. Macronutrients are the bigger subset of calories. There are three primary macros, protein, Carbohydrate and fat, there's also alcohol, they're all different macros. Fat has 9 calories per gram, carbohydrate has 4 calories per gram, protein has 4 calories per gram, and alcohol has 7 calories per gram. Now, if we're going to look at our general calculation for these things, calculate protein first. First, you should figure out your calories, and then you calculate protein first. Figuring out your calories is harder than it would seem, because you could just go in and plug it into a tracker, and it's going to spit you out a number, and that number's going to be really wrong, depending on what your background is. If you are 40-year-old Mrs. Smith, who has done nothing but yo-yo diet for the past 30 years, uh, then we end up with a really downwardly adapted metabolism, probably some extra fat stores, and you might be gaining weight at 1,200 calories a day. That sucks. Now, if you plug your calories into my fitness pal and you are 200 pounds and 40 years old, it is not going to tell you that your maintenance is somewhere at the like 1,000 calorie a day mark. It's going to tell you whatever the, ca- the um, Mifflin saint St.J equation is, which is going to put you somewhere in the like 1800 mark. Now, if you start at 1,800 calories and they give you a deficit to, say, 15 to just be really conservative, which nobody has ever done. They've never clicked the Be Conservative button. But if you, guys say, you go to 15 just for giggles and your maintenance is at 1,000 calories, you are immediately going to start gaining weight and you're going to look at whatever tracker you're using and say, macros are crap. They don't work. It's not that they don't work. It's that you're starting from the expectation that you haven't downwardly adapted your metabolism for 30 years. So figuring out your calories can be harder than just plugging it in. You actually have to do a little bit of work. My recommendation would be take a month because a month out of your life really isn't that much. and. You track your food without any expectations or trying to make changes. Just track everything that you eat. Or if that sounds really tedious, do it six days a week. You should regularly include weekends. A holiday would be kind of nice. And after you have a month, you average your calories over the course of that entire month. And then you'll have a really good estimate of what your maintenance calories are. What it takes you to maintain weight if you maintain weight over that month. If you lost a bunch of weight, then you know you were in a deficit. If you were gaining weight, you know you're in some kind of surplus, but we can figure out what your maintenance is that way, as according to you and your current activity level, and all of your background, all takes that into account if we just do it by hand. Most people are not gonna do a month. Two weeks is plenty. One week is fine, but get an assessment of yourself. The numbers, the equations are not going to be right. Once we figure out that assessment, you can actually make some tweaks. So your protein should be anywhere from 0.7 grams to about 1 gram of protein per pound of lean body weight. For most people who run, I don't care how much extra you think you're carrying. Like, it's probably fine to just go one gram per whatever you weigh. If you're currently in a heavy training cycle, you might not need quite that much. They've shown that 0.7 is kind of where you cap out. And what I'll do for most people, myself included, is take my current body weight, multiply it by 0.7, 0.8, and that gives me a pretty good estimate of my protein target. So for me, at... We're going to call it 180, because the math makes it a little easier. So if I'm 180 pounds, then if I multiply that by 0.8, I end up at 150. So my protein target should be 150 grams of protein a day. Great. Next, we should figure out our fat, because fat is essential. If you don't eat it, you will die. So instead of carbohydrate, which I'll push all day long, because we're a bunch of athletes who need them, or at least benefit from them. You don't need them. You're not going to die. But if you have some, if you don't have fat, you will die. And you should have at least a minimum of 25%. The actual number is 20. You're an athlete, you probably need a little more than that. 25% of your total calories should come from fat. So, if I'm at 180, I would or if I, if I know my total calories, which at the moment's like like 3,000, somewhere in there, if I figure out what 25% of that is, it's 750, and then I divide that by 9, because remember, fat has 9 calories per gram, then I know how much fat I need to consume at minimum. I can consume more. I don't really have to. I like to, so I do. And then carbohydrate can fill in the rest of the gaps, if you like a slightly higher fat diet, great. It, people tend to do pretty well across the board in like a 25 to 50% of total calories and fat range. As an athlete, you might wanna be on the slightly lower side of that so that you have more room for healthy carbohydrates for your performance. And then again, the rest of it is carbs. Now if you are consuming alcohol on a fairly regular basis, we need to count that in somewhere. You're not going to take that from your protein. You can take it from your carbs and fat. If your fats is at that minimum 25% because you just don't like a very fat, fatty diet, great. You get to take it out of, your, out of your carbohydrate then. And that is where that's going to come from. And now this is the slightly more complicated job where if you're an athlete, you should actually cycle carbs, especially if you are training for ultras. So for most people who are doing, I don't know, an hour or two of activity on a fairly regular basis every day throughout their week, or, you know, the average American doing 15 minutes, then your intake of calories and carbohydrates and everything else should be pretty static in your day-to-day life. There's no real need to cycle. You can. Things like calorie cycling and carb cycling can actually be really useful for general weight loss or maintenance or whatever health you want to do, but it's not necessary. It's very little it's very little additional benefit other than you just don't get bored as easily, which is really important, but physiologically, there's not a lot of benefit. For an ultra runner where one of your days is a rest day and then another day, you run for five hours, the intake on those days should not be the same. So if your big day is on Saturday, you should consume notably more food on Saturday than you did on, let's call it Wednesday rest day, just to go with my current schedule. And then Sunday should also probably still be higher because I almost promise you, you're still in a deficit from Saturday. So this is where carb cycling comes in and why it's part of that guide. You should, and why I push it on most people, or at least have a conversation with it. And this is where we fall kind of naturally as athletes. If you were fueling your runs appropriately, then you will end up inherently cycling your carbohydrates. Now that is like the basics of macros. In question from Esther, what changes our metabolism? I noticed before I started running, it wasn't very good. But now that I do a lot, it's very good. Yes, there are a lot here. So everything changes your metabolism because your body is a constantly changing microcosm of trying to stay alive. And whatever you teach it to do, it will do well. So if you do a lot of endurance work, no strength training, and under eat, your body will figure out how to be really efficient with the sparse calories you're giving it. Which is why I openly bash diets like Octavia because they put you on an 800-calorie-a-day diet and then work you really hard. And it destroys your metabolism, and then you're not going to come out of that. You might lose 30 pounds in about 30 days, and then you're going to gain about 60 in the next 30. And it just doesn't work well. It's bad for you. So whatever you do changes your metabolism, and it just teaches it to do whatever. This is why when we're looking to lose body fat, our first effort should be to gain more muscle mass and eat more food because your body will learn to do more or do less with more calories. So you're gonna put on some muscle mass, your metabolism will actually be less efficient, which in the fat loss space is a great thing because you get to eat a little more while still losing weight. If your like resting metabolic rate is 3000, it's really easy to create a deficit. If your resting mod- metabolic rate is 1200, you can't create a deficit without causing even more nutrient deficiencies than you're already getting. So your metabolism will adapt to whatever you teach it to do. When, before you started doing a lot, it probably wasn't very good, because not you have been eating a whole lot, and you were probably a little stressed, and you weren't teaching your body to put things to, put things to use. Now that you eat more food and are very active, and you're active in like one of so Esther's a triathlete, so very a variety of ways, she does strength training, so m- muscle building ways. Your body puts that fuel to use, and your metabolism's up. So that's what changes your metabolism, everything. And if we're looking at tracking macros, like you don't need to, ever, really. I do think it would be useful for most people to do it for about a week. A month would be even better. Like, most people should track macros for about a month just to see everything <laughs> that you... If you've never done it, you have no idea how much, like, how much peanut butter is in a serving. Barely enough to cover a slice of bread. And it is a lot of calories, and it's nuts. Uh, same with sugar, same with soda, same with... When you figure out you're drinking, I don't know half of your daily intake in calories a day that I've noticed from some people in a mixture of soda and alcohol, that's a good wake-up call for why things are not quite going the way you planned. It's just helpful to see what's going on and you get to make more informed choices. That's it. So if you decide, and then you don't have to track every day, it's not an all or nothing, it's not like I track every single piece of food or I don't ever do anything, you could choose to track six days a week or three. If you're going to do something like three, then I'd include a weekend in there. Um, Ultimately, I think if you're going to do this, great. And if you enjoy it, keep doing it. Otherwise, you should kind of wean yourself off eventually and then maybe check in on it occasionally. But it's useful to see what's in your food and how much you're actually consuming and how much fuel. And it can be useful both directions. Like we're talking to a group of athletes here in a sport that regularly is plagued by reds, relative energy deficiency in sport. And it used to be just the female athlete triad because it was mostly females in the 80s and now it's just more and more and more people are ending up with energy deficiency. And in things like ultra or distance cycling, where you're training this much triathlons, you can do this accidentally. You don't even need to try to be creating a t- calorie deficit. It's very associated with eating disorders, but it doesn't have to be. You can just train that much and then accidentally not fuel yourself, and end up with serious problems like overtraining syndrome, is what it's often called. And just need to be careful. So tracking your food, at least a little bit, to make sure you're not under eating or overeating, can be really helpful. Now, if it's going to send you down a spiral of an eating disorder, don't do it. Um, Also, if it's going to send you down a spiral of an eating disorder, I'm going to assume that you tracked enough at some point in your life that you probably know what it is. I train a couple people, nobody in this group at the moment, who have, like, some active issues with that. And they could eyeball any of that because they did it for so long. And it's not like we ever ask for that, but just you know how much you're eating. If you don't know how much you're eating, you should kind of find out, because I think a lot of our modern world is not necessarily designed to help you with that. Ow! last little bit. If you have any questions about macros, pop them in. Oscar, can you talk a little bit about sodium? Sure. If you're you're watching, you're welcome to follow up on any of this. sodium is necessary. Once you do your sweat test and you figure out how much fluid you're losing, then we're going to try to retarget about that much consumption. If it is more than a liter and a half per hour, pretty much not going to ask you to drink that much because your body definitely can't absorb it. And if it's more than a liter per hour, we're going to keep tight eyes on drinking more than that and seeing if you get all sloshy and stomach problems. Now, once we have your fluid levels, we can correspondingly try and figure out your sodium. This is more guesswork. We have a range where per liter of fluid consumed is probably somewhere between 500 milligrams and a gram of sodium per liter. Now, some people it's more. There is a group called precision hydration, and they do a lot of testing. I don't know what they cost because I've never looked into it. I haven't had enough issues to, figure, to have to figure it out, but they're great. If you're really struggling and just cannot get your electrolytes right, you should get one of their tests. It would be really worth it for you to stop, you know, kicking yourself in the teeth because you're not getting enough sodium. Now, if you are just haven't thought about it yet, <laughs> maybe try to estimate it a couple times and see if you can dial it in. For most people, I would start with about 500 milligrams per liter and see how it does. If things still seem a little weird, up it. Some signals that are sodium, like run in a black shirt, when you're done running, is there salt on it? If so, then you probably lose a lot of sodium when you run. There can be two reasons for this. One, you naturally lose a lot of sodium when you run. Two, you're drinking too much sodium. And you can figure that out by going for a shorter run without a bunch of salt. Like you're not going to become hyponatremic in an hour unless you actively try to do so. So go run, bring enough fluid with you to like rehydrate for the hour. Don't add salt to it and see how like white your shirt gets. You're not going to feel great but stay close to home, like, don't be stupid, right? And then the other option is, like, run with a good amount of sodium. See if the salt levels on your church shirt change significantly. If they do, we can figure out whether you were just over-consuming or whether you actually lose a lot of sodium. The other thing we can do is just see if it makes you feel better. Oscar asked this because he and I had been working on dialing it in a little bit, he did an experiment a couple days ago where he went out, did his run, lives in Phoenix for anybody new here, so real hot, and did his first half of his run without a bunch of extra sodium, and then added a bunch of extra to the second half, and the second half went way better, so we're going to increase his sodium. It was a great test. He and I are talking about this tomorrow. I haven't even done that. He just did that. It's a great test. This is what we should do. We should figure out our sodium levels by like doing a couple tests on ourselves. This is exactly the kind of thing we should be looking for. The reason you need sodium is a, a fewfold. One is to avoid hyponatremia. If you end up really hydrated but not enough sodium, your body shuts down, and you can actually die if you end up hyponatremic. Most people who suffer from this are in marathons, and they drink too much plain water. They try to pound a bunch of plain water, and they don't supplement their sodium, and they can end up with serious issues. In an ultra, it is long enough where even if you weren't actively trying to push too much fluid, and you just let your body like lose Sodium, naturally, you could still end up hyponatremic. You could hydrate appropriately and still end up hyponatremic for something like a 50 miler or or definitely 100. You just lose enough sodium to where you will eventually end up depleted. So we need to really target sodium so that we don't hurt ourselves. We also need sodium because it is related to cramping. It is not the only reason for cramping, but trust me, go out, for a, (laughs) pardon me, a run without any sodium and tell me if you cramp faster. Don't actually do that, it's really unpleasant. I promise you it is. I promise you it's related to cramping. Two things seem to be related to cramping. If you're curious, listen to the episode of the podcast. I'm happy to link it if someone wants me to. Just comment. But it is all about neural connections and electrolytes. It is a mix of the two. So if our electrolytes are messed up, you're going to cramp more. So that's another reason to have sodium. And then third reason for sodium and carbohydrate is not just to replenish electrolytes and fuel. It is also to help you hydrate better. You will have to drink about 150% of your lost water if you're just drinking water to hydrate. You will have to drink only 100% if you are drinking it with some sodium and carbohydrate as well. This is true across the board. It's even more relevant in longer ultras. But this is true for everyone. This is why they invented Gatorade. It's not that they're losing enough sodium to end up with problems in a two to three hour practice. It's that they were not able to absorb as much water. That is the end of the questions I have. If anybody has anything else, please pop it. Uh, A couple things I'm seeing here. Plus, I'll definitely reach out to you. And thank you so much. I really appreciate that. I'm happy to be training you. It's a joy. Um, Megan, this is great info. I definitely don't eat enough in a day. That's not on purpose. I sometimes just don't consume enough or I'm not as hungry as I feel I should be. Me too. Um, Yeah, you're kind of newer to the group. A couple weeks ago, I crashed and burned really hard in a VO2 workout because I just kind of forgot to eat. And then suddenly it was four. And, uh, that happened. So I feel you. You're in good company. No worries, Esther. Um, I don't see any, any more questions. So thank you all for being here. I really appreciate it. If anybody watching the replay has any pop them in and I'm happy to answer them as I go. And I hope you all have a really good rest of your evening. I'm going to go eat a bunch of food and get some sleep and I'll talk to y'all later. Bye. Thank you for listening to the show. To be clear, I'm not a doctor nor a registered dietitian and nothing you heard was medical advice. You should always speak with a qualified medical professional before making any changes to your training regimen. If you enjoy the podcast or found it useful, please take a couple seconds to give it a rating or share it with a friend. Every little bit helps. And if you want more of this information, please head to the trail and ultra running nutrition group on Facebook. You'll be in good company with other like-minded people who like to do hard stuff outside.